while we've been tracing the wondrous love of God and our Savior through these last few messages in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14 and 15 particularly, with the emphasis on his journey from Gethsemane to the cross. So we've seen his betrayal as we go, as we walk with him on the journey from Gethsemane to the cross. We've been with him on his betrayal, his arrest, and last week we heard about his trial before the Sanhedrin. Remember the charges they brought against him? They charged him with blasphemy. And what's the penalty for blasphemy? Death. And what was the blasphemy particularly? That Jesus was making himself equal to God, which he is. He is God. He's the son of God. But is that going to stand in the political sphere? Are those charges going to stand? Because it's peculiarly Jewish. It's a Jewish law. And that's why you see the Sanhedrin now bringing Jesus before Pilate. Because now he needs to be tried by a, a different law. Because they want to see him executed. They want to see him put to death. And that's where we turn to today, to uh, Mark chapter 15. 1 through 15, Jesus before Pilate, the governor of Pilate, his trial, and then his sentence. And our focus will be verse 15. Whom shall we release, Jesus or Barabbas? And uh, that'll be our focus today. But let's read God's word together, chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. So it's morning, it's Friday morning, it's Good Friday morning. The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, delivered him to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. The chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? Jesus still answered nothing. So Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas. By the way, Barabbas simply it literally means son of the father. Who else is the son of the father? Jesus, he's the true son of the heavenly father. Barabbas also means son of the father. And if you look at Matthew 27, he is also called Jesus. That was another name for Barabbas. So there's a lot of, there's a lot going on here. And there's one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude crying aloud began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? They cried out all the more, crucify him. 
So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. That's our focus this morning. Verse 15, I'll read it once more. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. You know, often you hear people talking about their three minutes of fame, right? They want their three minutes of fame where they can be known throughout the world, even if it's just for three minutes, maybe be something behind the mic or some uh, event that they, that they did in their lives, something that they can be remembered by. But here you have Pilate who has been known now for 2,000 years in the history of the church. He probably doesn't want to remember for what he did, but he is remembered nonetheless, not for three minutes, but for 2,000 years. Every Sunday, what do we confess in the Apostles' Creed? Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And all the nations of the world Pontius Pilate is remembered. Remember for what? For suffering, for, uh, for putting Jesus on trial, for sentencing him to death. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is the same Pilate that we meet here in Mark 15. The same words that we confess Sunday by Sunday by Sunday is the same Pilate we meet in the scriptures in Mark chapter 15. And so it's this Pilate who puts Jesus on trial and sentences him to death. It's particularly to be crucified, right, on the cross. And particularly what we see here this morning is that Jesus takes the place of Barabbas. Really the question is, whom shall we release? Barabbas or Jesus? And we see the conclusion here, verse 15, Jesus taking the place of Barabbas. So we want to see two things this morning. Pilate releases Barabbas, and yet he delivers Jesus to be crucified. The word release, you see it mentioned four times throughout this passage, and delivers three times. So that's really where the focus is on. Pilate releasing Barabbas, and Jesus delivering Sorry, Pilate delivering Jesus to be crucified. Yeah, it's early Friday morning, the day of Christ's crucifixion. And under the direction of the chief priests, the chief priests or the high priests, there were a number of them together on the Sanhedrin. Under their direction, Jesus is bound, he's led away, and he's being delivered over to Pilate. That's what we see in verse 1. They bring other charges before Jesus. Charges that will stick. They want new ones. Because this one regarding blasphemy, that's particularly a religious one that particularly belongs to the covenant people of God, uh, to the Jews. But that's not going to stick in, a, in, a, in the Roman Empire. Those kinds of charges will not stick. They want to make sure that he's killed. They want to ensure that Jesus will be put to death. That's how much they hate Jesus. 
This is the church here. God's covenant people. That's how much they hate Jesus. They're going to see to it that they bring up new charges in order to see that he is executed by the civil authorities. And that's where Jesus is brought before, the governor of Judea, who is Pilate, one who was appointed by the emperor Tiberius, right, in 26 AD. So this is very historical. He was governor there for 11 years. Well, what new charges can they bring before Jesus? Charges that will stick. No doubt, the Sanhedrin has already told Pilate that, yeah, you know, Jesus claims to be king. He claims to be king of the Jews. Now, Pilate hearing that might be thinking, well, if he claims to be king, that means he could be charged with high treason. Right? Who's this one claiming to be king? Is he going to take my place as king? I mean, think of the, the charges of seditious activity going on. In the Roman Empire, such activity was deserving of death. Remember Herod? The ruler over Galilee, so that was north of Judea. That was the district. Remember his response when the wise men inquired, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Herod plotted to kill him because he saw someone that perhaps was a competing rival, a rival to him on the throne. And now you see Pilate asking Jesus here, are you the king of the Jews? Is he the king of the Jews? Yeah, he is the king of the Jews. Literally, however, it should be read as a statement. I mean, our Bibles bring it out in a different way, but literally it should read as, you are the king of the Jews, question mark, or you are the king of the Jews, aren't you? That's the sense of what Pilate is saying here. How does Jesus answer? It is as you say. The sense of Jesus' response is, okay, you say so. In other words, Jesus is neither affirming it, nor is he denying it. Why is Jesus saying it that way? The emphasis is on you, Pilate. This is what you're saying. Well, the reason is this. Jesus is not the kind of king that Pilate thinks that Jesus claims to be. Pilate is thinking political. Pilate is thinking of someone who's going to begin a revolution, carry out seditious activity, and replace some sort of of governor, perhaps him in Judea. But that's not the kind of king Jesus is. He's the son of God. And he came to earth to do what as king? To break the reign of sin in our lives. What kind of sin? Hate. Envy. The very things that you see going on here before the cross. Hate, envy, jealousy. And he has come to graciously reign over the hearts of men to fill the hearts of his people with love and peace. No king can do that but Jesus for you. Because our, bar, our hearts are born naturally inclined to hate inclined to jealousy, inclined to envy. We need a king 
like this one, don't we? The one who can deliver us from ourselves. I mean, death to ourselves. Basically, that's what the gospel message is, right? Death to ourselves and life in Jesus Christ. But you see the hearts of the chief priests here. The very, very, very priests that point to the greater high priest to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're to point to him. They're to reflect him. And here you see them hating him, bringing charges against him, murderous threats against him. They continue to accuse Jesus of many, many things. See that verses three through five? Mark doesn't specify what those many things are. But Luke 23 brings some of those things out. But Jesus, we read here, answers nothing. Nothing. Three times you read this, and he answered nothing, and he answered nothing, and he answered nothing. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Do you answer nothing, asked Pilate? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing. So that Pilate, this is interesting, Pilate marveled. doesn't say he believed. He was just amazed. And you think of those words in 1 Timothy 6, where, Timothy, where Paul says to Timothy, he talks about the good confession that Christ made before Pilate. <laughs> he said more to Pilate, as we read in the other Gospels. But here it says, simply says that he answered nothing. Jesus remains silent in the face of all the proverbial stones being thrown at him and the tomatoes. Right? It's not that it's literally happening at this point, but it's in their hearts. Their knives and their spears are just protruding from the evil hearts before the king of kings. But remember, his silence is not a silence of defeat. But it's a silence of surrender to his father's will for your salvation. It's a surrender in obedience in full obedience and perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus is in control of his very hour. He treads the awful path for your and my salvation for sinners. You know, and that's why Jesus' silence amazes Pilate. And he starts seeing, wait a minute, I'm getting roped into this. And he see, you see that in verse 10. For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. After all, it's not what they say it really is, but it's really because of their envy that they handed Jesus over to him. And what happens next reveals what sort of king the mob in Jerusalem really prefers. What kind of king is it that they really want? And that's what you see in verses 6 through 14. And Pilate is not happy about giving into the, into the chief priest's jealousy. So he decides to present to the crowd with a choice. Okay. He wants them to make a vote on ballot. Jesus or Barabbas. Which one shall we release? And yet, the scripture reminds us here that the custom, it was a custom that the Roman governor would grant the release of one of the prisoners, whomever they requested, every Passover. That was very fitting during the time of Passover, because what did Passover celebrate? It was a celebration of Jewish liberation from Egypt, 
right? It's a celebration of redemption. God had redeemed them from the Egyptians. Remember the blood of the lamb over the doorposts? He was setting his people free from Egypt. And it's on this very day that Pilate, the governor, would usually allow them to, to uh, have one of their picks as to which prisoner they would let free. And now the crowd is demanding the same thing. Pilate, we want you to do as you always have done. Barabbas, as we know from verse 7, was in prison. He was in prison with fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. That's what verse 7 tells us. Much more than that, we don't know. But he was one of many who committed murder, likely in an uprising against Rome. After all, what is it that they were after? What was Israel after? They wanted independence from Rome. They wanted to secure their own redemption in their own way. And they had a hitman. His name was Barabbas. Perhaps he was the leader of the group of thugs leading the way. Well, the choice was easy. Pilate thinks it's a no-brainer. They're not going to, they're probably going to want to let, uh, let Jesus go. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? But both the priests and the people reveal what sort of deliverance they are really looking for. The same accusers who tell Pilate that Jesus must be executed for claiming to be king are now siding with a murderous revolutionary who was fighting against Rome. Why? Why were they fighting for Barabbas? Because really, they wanted a king who would give them the freedoms they wanted. They wanted freedom from Roman rule. They wanted their independence. Jesus was not the kind of king they were looking for. The one who liberates from sin and death. The one who liberates from hate and jealousy and lust. The one who gives life. And we read in verse 11, the chief priests in their hatred, in their envy, in their anger, they stirred up the crowd so that Pilate would release Barabbas to them. The question comes, why would they act like this? Would you and I have done that? It's a fair question to ask. Do you understand all of this, what's going on here? The church? God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good, says Peter, and healing all those who were oppressed by Satan. How do you explain all this hatred? That's you and me. We would have, and we did, we did the same thing. That's you and me. It's our sin nature, a rebellious sin nature. It's so hard to give up. Why is it so hard to give up? Because it goes way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. We want our own way rather than someone else ruling over us. That's us. We want a king of our own making, not the one we need. That's what's going on here. That's the problem. It's our sin nature. As a matter of fact, in our sin, 
we joined them. We joined the crowds. Crucify him. Crucify him. You see that, eh? People want to be free from the standards, from the restraints of God's word. They say, this is chains. We don't want to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ because that means we have to follow him and his commandments. Oh, it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible today is becoming quickly the, the target of hate speech in Canada. It's nothing new. That's not just today. This goes back, way back in the garden with our first parents. We know from the catechism that men at the instigation of the devil in willful disobedience robbed himself and all his descendants of the ability to love and obey God. They forfeited life. They loved death. They loved sin. And that's exactly what we see here, isn't it? Three times, Pilate, the governor, who's a Gentile, is lobbying for Jesus. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Verse 9. Verse 12. What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And then verse 14. Why? What evil has he done? Over and over again, the crowds demand and protest. Crucify him. Verse 13. And then you see again in verse 14. They double up their words. They double it up with great emphasis. Crucify him. The sense is this, this ongoing refrain. That's all they can sing. They sing out of the hatred of their hearts. That's how much they hate him. That's how much they hate Jesus. But let's not think Pilate is so innocent either. <laughs> right? He looks like a really nice guy. But he's a politician. <laughs> There's a lot of good politicians, don't get me wrong. But this one, you begin to see what kind of character he really was. But in the midst of it, you see God uses this politician. God uses Pilate to do what? To declare the innocence of his son. It's, it's Pilate in the hands of God. And he uses him to declare the innocence of his son. The Lord Jesus Christ. For everyone to hear and for all the world to hear. That this Jesus, whom they are saying, whom the mobs are crying out, crucify him, crucify him, is not guilty. He's perfectly innocent. And even Pilate, knowing that Jesus is innocent, look at verse 15. These are the most sobering words. Wanted to gratify the crowd. Makes my spine shiver because I know that temptation is so real. You want to say things that people want you to say to satisfy them. And that was Pilate. He cares so little. He cares so little that he lets Jesus die anyway. In his wickedness, he's the one who does not have a back to stand. Right? He still condemns Jesus to death. Oh, it was politically expedient for him. He didn't really care about justice. He too let Jesus die. He ordered it. Jesus is regarded 
and treated by him as worse than Barabbas, worse than this criminal, this murderer. If only Pilate had known that Jesus' life, that his blood was a price with which he would redeem the world. We don't know if Pilate ever believed it, but he was being used in the hands of God to carry out God's purposes for our salvation. You see how God turns evil into good, into his glory. He sets the murderer free and sends Jesus away to be crucified. And that brings us to our second point. Verse 15 also says that Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. And he delivered Jesus, says verse 15, after he scourged him to be crucified. Notice how verse 1 begins with that word, delivered. And now you see it again in verse 15. It's kind of like an envelope, two bookends. Very important. Delivered, delivered. Verse 1, we read that they delivered him to Pilate. And now in the final verse, we read Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. It begins and it ends in this note. What's that word delivered here? Some translations have handed over. But delivered is a good word here. And here it means to give into the hands of another. It means to give into the hands of another. Okay, it pictures Jesus as the victim in the hands of lawless men. But, and this is important, behind the hands of these wicked men are the hands of the righteous God. That same word deliver, that very same word deliver is also used in Romans 8.32. Very beautiful verse. He who did not spare his own son, referring to God, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When Pilate delivered Jesus over to be crucified, who was pronouncing the verdict? The judge of heaven and earth, God himself. He was pronouncing the verdict, guilty upon the innocent son of God, guilty. Jesus took the place of a sinner, Barabbas. He takes the place of sinners. Peter says, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, for a purpose that he might bring us to God. You know, we sing that song sometimes at the conclusion of our service. Oh, the deep unbounded riches of God deserve our praise. How unsearchable his judgments, how marvelous his ways. We sang earlier, the wondrous love of Jesus, right? Yes, indeed, how marvelous are his ways. Who could have designed this? No human mind could have contrived this or invented this. It's God acting, working through the hands of lawless men and a lawless judge to accomplish his purposes for his church, that you may have life. The innocent one is put to death, 
the guilty is set free. For one man, it was a good Friday. Which man was this for? A good Friday? Barabbas. Barabbas, a criminal and a murderer. I like the way one author puts this. He says, this Barabbas, they yanked him from his prison, placed him on the pavement in the rays of the shining sun. And while his eyes were still blinking, they told him he was a free man. Not he, but Jesus would be killed. The innocent was killed. The sinner was set free. Christ, the innocent one, is treated as the guilty one in order that the guilty ones may be treated as the righteous ones. That's really the heart of the good news, right there. Whom does God justify? Does he justify the godly people? If that's the case, nobody would be saved. The Bible says he justifies the ungodly, like kind of those people that were at the cross, mocking him, spitting at him, hating him, reviling him. Those are the people he came to save. The ungodly. Romans 4 verse 5, to him who believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. That's the key here. Believing on him. That's the only way that the ungodly are justified. That's all of us. Ungodly by nature. But justified by faith in him who was condemned in our place. That's the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. God justifies the ungodly by, the, by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1. There is thou therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is Jesus the kind of savior and king you want? It's a heavy question because you know what that means? That means to confess that there's only death in ourselves. That's why he went to the cross. Only condemnation, death in ourselves. And to look outside of ourselves and see life, receive life in Jesus. That's what it means. That's the kind of king we do need, isn't it? But apart from God's grace, apart from the working of his, of his Holy Spirit, no sinner can see this unless the Spirit opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear. By nature, we are just as bad as Barabbas. By nature, like the mob who cried out, crucify him. We too are, by nature, not willing to come to Christ. Not only are we not willing to come to Christ, we're not even able to come to Christ. You know, so often you hear people say, all you have to do is just come to Jesus. Yeah, but unless the Spirit first works in their hearts to believe, no one will come to Jesus. That, again, points to his grace, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. We need the power of God's grace and love in Christ Jesus. 
It's by the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. It's by him that he makes the unwilling willing. He makes those who are not even able to come to Jesus to believe. He gives them the ability. Thank God that his willingness is stronger than our unwillingness. Thank God that his ability is stronger than our ability. Such is the strength of our Savior's love for sinners. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet ungodly, Jesus died for us. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Remember the Apostle Paul? He was just living up his sinful nature. He hated Christ. He was not able to come to Jesus and believe in him. And he was not willing. And he wanted to continue to persecute Jesus. How? By persecuting the church. Until the risen Lord Jesus, and here's the glory of it all, stopped Paul dead in his tracks. He says, Saul, Saul. You, you just hear the love of Christ and also the rebuke at the same time of Jesus in his words. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from that point on, by the power of God's grace, by the working of his Holy Spirit, the persecutor Paul became the preacher of this gospel message. What was his gospel message? The righteous shall live by faith. God justifies the ungodly. That is, all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the world today does not need the message, be good. It hears enough of it. Aren't you tired of that? Be good. Be good. It's a terrible message. What it needs more is not the message of moral do-goodism. What the world needs today is God's righteousness. That's what the world needs. That's the only answer to the problems that we see in our society around us. The only answer is the world needs God's righteousness. That's the message. That's the gospel message we need to hear. That's the gospel message we need to proclaim. The righteousness of God is what we need. And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I only have death in myself, hatred and envy. Unless I come to Christ, there's no deliverance. But he's the one who can deliver me from that and fill my heart with love and with his grace. You know, we hear this phrase often, we're all in this together. I would say with this gospel message, we're all in this together. That's what the world needs to hear. We're all in this together as a church. And this is the message that needs to be proclaimed and heard around the world. This is the only hope for our society, for us. We find forgiveness and new life. How? By submitting to this king by faith. We need a king to rule over us, don't we? One that checks our desires, forgives us our sins, so that we may love and obey and live the real life, the life of his kingdom, that we may live by the light of his glorious word. And yeah, that's why we just have to preach the word. That's what the Holy Spirit uses to bring people to repentance and faith. 
This is how they come to hear about the righteousness of God that they need through the one who was condemned for them in their place. To know that God declares us righteous through faith in him. That is the message. The message, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is life. The only life. Any other way, every other way, is death. Is a culture of death. This is the only life. Imagine for the rest of his life, Barabbas would say, Jesus died instead of me. And the Christian can say, in a much deeper sense, the Son of